the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Today, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. For those of you who don't know about the show, the show is in a couple of parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, whatever. Today, we're going to spend a little bit of time on history. We're going to talk to Howard Bloom. He's got a book out, Night of the Assassins, The Untold Story of Hitler's Plot to Kill FDR, Churchill, and Stalin. See how history might have been changed. And... Remember, this next Tuesday is primary day. There are some Republican primaries throughout the, the state, and one of them is here in New York City, Brooklyn, Staten Island. Michael Tenusis is running for the state assembly in the Republican primary. And we're going to be talking to, to Mike a little bit about it, his past background and what his plans are for the state of New York. Now, let's get right into the estate planning because we really don't have a lot of time for questions. So... We have a, a couple of email questions from the same person. So, Beth, can you read the questions? I surely will. The fellow's name is Jeff, and there are actually three. The first one, if a money account is left in the will to offspring A, same account is TOD, or sole beneficiary to offspring A, can this account be contested by another offspring? The second question if an account is a joint account between parent and offspring A, can this same account be contested by another offspring? And the third question, if ownership of a house is fully passed to offspring A, can this ownership be contested? Well, you know, all these questions come back to the same point. You know, like, in other words, if there are assets that are not in the decedent's name alone, and in this example, the house was transferred over, uh, hopefully from the recipient's point of view, it was transferred in a trust to maximize the tax benefits of the transfer. Uh, the same with the bank accounts. Usually on a bank account, there's no great tax on, on that unless your estate is worth more than $6 million. So in all three examples there, 
the person who owned the account took it to avoid going through court, avoiding probate, which makes it very difficult for that person who wants to contest. Assuming they had a will, and it appears that they did have a will because they bequeathed one of the accounts in the will. So if everything went to offspring A, and the will says I leave everything to offspring A, technically, yeah, you might be able to contest, but your chance of ultimate success or making a good settlement are very bad. Because here's what happens. You have to first try to deny probate to the will, which is never done. I mean, occasionally there's a settlement. And then after you deny probate to the will, then you have to bring an action to rescind the deed, to rescind the designation on bank accounts. And that's extremely, really rare thing to do, uncommon to do. And total success, I would say, is virtually impossible. Now, could there be extenuating factors if the, if the fact that these bank accounts and the deed was transferred on a deathbed or something like that and the person had a stroke and they weren't mentally competent? Yeah, the the objectant, the person who's objecting to these transfers might have a little bit of a case. But for the most part, belt and suspenders, if, you, if you're doing your planning, and I know this could be bad news to the Jeff who's, who's asking the questions, but assuming these documents were signed, you know, they weren't signed at, at death, they were signed a year, two years before death, anybody wants to object to these transfers on the outside looking in, because one, they have to try to deny probate to the will, and then number two, they have to try to set aside these transfers, which means they have to win two trials. They would have the burden, especially on the second one, to offset the transfers. And if the deed was transferred more than a few years ago, who knows, the statute of limitations may be run. And there may not even be a, a case that we can bring in court, which for planning purposes, those of you who have assets and you're afraid one of your children may contest the will, there's a troublemaker out there. Maybe they got their assets years ago, and the other child is waiting for the assets after you're gone, and you do that only by a will. The child who received maybe, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars years ago can go into court, can contest the will, and make life generally miserable for that child who you want to receive your assets. The way we avoid and plan against it, we put the assets in a trust. The trust then goes out. Ordinarily tax-free if you're under $6 million in New York. There's no court proceeding. There's no probate. And I'll tell you right now in New York, probate is, is more than a nightmare because you can't even probate a will right now. The courts are closed. We have to wait before we even start probating a will, which means somebody may have a house. It's worth a couple of million dollars. Somebody makes an offer on it. We can't even accept that offer until we get started in the surrogate's court, and the surrogate's court is closed. So we have one more reason to avoid probate. We avoid probate when we pass away. There are no assets in our name alone when we pass away. Just what the example in Jeff's questions are. Bank accounts were either TOD or joint. The house was transferred over, hopefully in a trust for tax purposes. But you avoid probate and when you pass away. There are no assets in your name alone when you pass away. 90% of our clients, we're trying to talk to them about avoiding going through probate, avoiding going to court. Now, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be going, talking to Michael Tanousis, Republican for the Assembly. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens Will my to assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? 
These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, in a few days, there's, it's primary day in New York City. And there are not a lot of primaries on the Republican side of the, the aisle, but there is one in Bay Ridge and Staten Island. And we're very pleased to have one of the candidates for the Assembly, Michael Tenusis. Welcome to Connors Corner. Thank you, Mr. Connors. I hope all is well. Okay, so... And thank you for having me. All right, so this primary. What, what day is the, uh, the primary? Because a lot of people don't even know it's coming up. Yes. So the primary is actually on June 23rd, uh, but the New York City has implemented early voting. Uh, so there are early voting sites in Brooklyn as well as on uh, the East Shore of Staten Island. So people can vote right now if they wish. Okay, but h- how does that work? I'm a little confused about that. So early voting basically was implemented. It began last year. And uh, you can go to the polling site and vote at just as if it was Election Day. Uh, And they'll be doing that leading up to uh, the actual uh, voting day. So the actual voting day is June 23rd. That's where you can vote at the location where you have voted previously. Uh, And they have implemented early voting to make it easier for people uh, that may have worked during the day or may may be easier for them to vote over the weekend, uh, because you could also vote now on a Saturday or Sunday uh, at the early voting uh, place. Okay, and that could be a different place than where you usually vote. Yes, yes. Typically, it's not your, uh, the same place that you vote. Uh, it, there is a New York City uh, on the website uh, that they have available. You can look up to see if you are, uh, if you are uh, available, if, if the, the location where you can vote uh, based on your location. Okay, so again, primary is Tuesday, you know, regular hours. New York State Assembly, what are the issues now— Again, a lot of people may not realize the, the different elections, but New York State Assembly every two years comes up for election. The general election is November. And this year in your district, in my district, there's going to be a primary. So what are the issues between the, the candidates? So the reason uh, why I'm running for state assembly is because I was a prosecutor for eight years uh, and I, I prosecuted thousands of cases. Uh, last year, I prosecuted two high-profile murder cases, including the Ramada Inn murders. And while I tried those cases is when the state assembly passed the failed bail reform laws. Uh, so thanks to those laws, now career criminals are free to roam the streets uh, because they have basically taken a set of crimes. Some of them are relatively serious, and they have instructed judges not to set bail on these specific crimes. So in addition to that, uh, New York State, before COVID even hit, uh, was at a $6 billion deficit, uh, even even though we pay some of the highest taxes in the country. So uh, there's a lot of money being spent in Albany, and it's not going to the middle-class taxpayer 
who is basically working hard to put food on the table. So the, those are the main, those are the two main reasons I'm running for this seat. Uh, I am running in a primary. My opponent's name is Marco Kepi. Uh, so we have both uh, been sending mailers to people's homes. Uh, but what t- pulls me apart and why the reason why you should vote for me is because I have the endorsement of the Republican parties of Staten Island and Brooklyn. I have also the endorsement of conservative parties of Staten Island and Brooklyn. I'm the only candidate that actually has major law enforcement union support. Basically, almost all the law enforcement unions have endorsed me for this race. Uh, And in addition to that, I have all the local Republican, current Republican elected official endorsements. And I'm proud to say that four days ago, I also received the endorsement of former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, uh, who recognizes my background as a prosecutor and the fact that I will be effective as a state assemblyman uh, for the 64th Assembly District. Uh, so that's what sets me apart from my opponent, and that's why I'm asking you uh, to vote for me uh, in the June 23rd primary. Now, what New York State issues are, are, do you think is important for this year? You talked about bail reform. Also, real estate owners, landlords are getting hammered by the, the laws up in Albany if they own a multiple dwelling. Yes. Yes. And in fact, I also want to say that uh, what I forgot to mention earlier is that I'm also backed by the RSA. Uh, RSA was actually the first organization that backed me even before the law enforcement unions. Uh, and the problem is that they have given they, you have no incentive anymore to invest in property in New York State. My, I'm the son of immigrants. My parents came here for the American dream. Uh, they came here. They worked hard. They built their life. Uh, they built their family. And now New York State is coming to you and telling you uh, who you have to put into your house and how much rent you have to charge. It does not give any type of incentive uh, as to investing in property. And the issue is that once you lose that incentive to invest in property and once you're not supporting small businesses uh, in order to, to, to promote uh, people, you know, promote the American dream, we're going to start losing residents. And we've already started losing residents that are fleeing the state. And I believe that because of COVID and because of everything that has happened, uh, there's going to be more people fleeing. And uh, I think the other issue is the, the small business angle. Uh, a few weeks ago, they had the ability, the Republicans introduced a bill in the state assembly called the Small Business Recovery Act. It would have earmarked $850 million in aid to small businesses. It also would have waived certain fees and it would have postponed certain deadlines to help small businesses get back on their feet. And unfortunately, the Democratic-controlled legislature did not pass this bill. Uh, they, it's amazing to me the priorities of the mayor and, and the governor. Uh, all of a sudden, social distancing was a big issue. Now with the looting and the rioting, it apparently, it's apparent that social distancing is not an issue. But you are not allowed to open up your small businesses, business in order to put food on your table for you and your family. So the priorities are completely out of whack. This is why I'm running for this seat. And uh, I need your help and your support to make sure that in November we have a strong Republican candidate to take on the Democrat opponent and to also take on the liberal progressivism that has taken over the state. Now, this is one of my pet peeves. All the, all the bailouts, all the money that's being given out, landlords in New York City are going to face tax increases on July 1st, which to me is just astonishing. It's it's the one thing that the, the, the governor and mayor you think would get around that they could lower real estate taxes or give the landlords a break. 
But no, taxes are going to be raised. A lot of the landlords obviously are not going to get rent from their commercial tenants because commercial tenants just can't afford to pay them. Yeah, and what's even more astonishing to me was that in the midst of the COVID epidemic, you had Mayor de Blasio going in a press conference and basically telling uh, renters not to pay the rent, uh, that they that don't have to pay the rent. And I think that's it's incredible to me that he's able to do something like that. Meanwhile, they're not doing anything to help landowners because that landowner still has to pay the mortgage. That landowner still has to pay the increased taxes. And when you're telling the renters, when you're basically promoting this behavior of not paying the rent, then it, it, it's basically it's, it's counterproductive. You are giving you are not giving landowners any incentive to invest in property. And it's going to take New York back to those crazy times of the 80s uh, where you're going to see abandoned buildings, where you're going to see burned down buildings as in the, as in the Bronx, for example. And it's going to cause people to flee the state. Now, let me ask you something. Do you have any comments about how Governor Cuomo has handled the COVID crisis? So, you know, I I know that uh, he's received uh, some praise in regards to the COVID crisis. For me, uh, I believe Governor Cuomo has spent the last 10 years cutting health care, which I believe is the reason why we're in the shape that we were in. Uh, I also believe that the way that he handled the nursing home debacle was disgraceful. I know that there were directors of nursing homes that were asking, that were pleading with the state not to admit COVID patients into the nursing homes. And I know for a fact, given my my line of work, I also work as counsel to Joe Borelli. We were contacted by constituents who had family members in nursing homes. We pleaded with the State Department of Health not to implement this. Uh, we weren't getting any responses back. And then in addition to that, as, as you know, the president, the federal government sent in a ship uh, in order to help with the, with the hospital situation. And instead of trying to use the ship in order to, to, to basically facilitate uh, this, this process so that COVID patients would not be uh, put into nursing homes uh, where they could obviously have a negative effect on the residents, they sent the ship home empty. So I think that there's, uh, there's a lot that needs to be explained in, in regards to his response. And I do not believe it was adequate. And a lot of mistakes happened. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed and investigated. And unless there's some Republicans in the state legislature, it ain't going to get done. Right. Well, that well, that's what it is. So, you know, in my in my travels uh, talking to residents, you know, I, I explained to them, I said, listen, we're not going to blink. And then tomorrow uh, the state legislature, or the state uh, assembly is going to turn a Republican majority. It's not going to happen. We had the state Senate for a long time. Uh, it may be possible one day that we'll get the state Senate back, but the state assembly, because of the way that the districts are cut, it's not going to happen. But the idea is that we must hold on to the minority Republican seats that we have and maybe gain another one or two, because if you do not have that strong minority there that can make the noise, that could take the Democrats to task, uh, it will get even worse than what it is today. By the way, who represents your district right now in the New York State Assembly? So right now, the district is being represented by Nicole Maliotakis. Uh, Nicole is leaving her seat to run for Congress. Uh, and she, along with the rest of the Republican officials, are supporting me to run for her seat in this primary and, if, and, and, and when I win in November as well. Okay, now, you know, everybody remember the, the primary is Tuesday, June 23rd. Don't forget to vote. I mean, yeah, if you can get some early voting done, fine, but don't forget to vote by June 23rd. Elections are important, and and if we don't vote, then 
who knows what's going to happen. The state's going to get worse. It's bad, but let's keep it from getting worse. Michael Tanus is a candidate for Republican uh, Assembly, Brooklyn, Staten Island, June 23rd. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you so much, Mr. Connors. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There's no one strategy that fits everyone but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all call connors and sullivan attorneys at law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in brooklyn midtown manhattan queens and staten island 718-238-6500 that's 718-238-6500 or visit their website connorsandsullivan.com Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest is New York Times bestseller Howard Bloom. He has a book out, Night of the Assassins, The Untold Story of Hitler's Plot to Kill FDR, Churchill, and Stalin. Welcome to Connors Corner, Howard. Nice to speak with you. Okay, so set the stage. Where? What time of the, what time of the war is this? The plot begins unfolding in, in 1943. What sets it all in motion is a statement uh, that FDR gives after the Casablanca conference. That's in North Africa. FDR is meeting with Churchill, and FDR surprises Churchill and the world by announcing on January 24, 1943, that the Allies are going to fight till the unconditional surrender of Germany, Italy, and Japan. Once he says this, the German high command's hope for negotiated peace is dashed to sand. Uh, they realize that they won't be able to keep the territories that they've 
gotten in the East, and they also realize that they will have to answer to allied military tribunals for their crimes against humanity, and many of them will pay with their lives unless they can think of something else, of another way out of this. And so they begin to hatch what starts off as an impossible mission that gets more and more real. All right. Now, the war at this point, where where is the Eastern Front? And, of course, we haven't landed in Normandy yet. No, we haven't landed in Normandy yet at all. Uh, what has happened is the Germans have been defeated at Stalingrad. The Allies have invaded successfully North Africa. American battalions are getting into the war. American bombers are coming off the assembly lines. And the German high command realizes at least most of them do, that the war is going to be lost, but they still believe they can pull a stalemate from the jaws of defeat, that they can get this negotiated peace. But once FDR announces that there's going to be an unconditional surrender, enough of them know their history to know that the last nation that was offered an unconditional surrender was Carthage, and Rome destroyed it. And, and that's what they feel is Germany's fate. And that's why they have to think of another plan, a desperation strategy. So who comes up with this plan? In July 1943, uh, in the Eden Hotel in Berlin, in one of the back rooms, they are the, Germany's two spy masters, the two men in charge of their cloak and dagger operations. One of them is Walter Schellenberg. He's just 33 years old. He's an SS general, but not really a true believer, more a bureaucrat. And he meets with a man old enough to be his father. This is Admiral Wilhelm Karnassus. He's head of the traditional German intelligence agency, the ABFER. And these two men realize that they've heard rumors about FDR and Churchill and Stalin meeting for the first time. The Allies have been sp spreading this around. But... So they come up with a plan that we will try to launch a mission against all three of them at one time. However, even as they, they try to make this plan or talk about it from the first, they realize, one, they don't know when this meeting is going to take place or where, and it's going to be one of the most closely guarded secrets in the world. How are they going to get this information, this vital intelligence, to the three allied nations control the largest standing army combined in the world. These men will be very well protected. And three, how are they going to formulate a plan? A frontal attack would be suicide, and any attack by stealth seems impossible at this stage since they don't know where or when uh, the meeting is going to take place. Now, where where did the meeting eventually take place? So that was that's where the suspense, I guess, comes in when they're when they're all in one place. And what is that place? Tehran uh, at the Tehran conference. Uh, the Allies originally are want to meet. They, they they need to get in the same room to discuss D-Day. Uh, FDR has the belief that D-Day should be going through France directly to Berlin. Churchill wants it to go through the, what he calls the soft underbelly of Europe, which means through Italy and southern France, 
and Stalin just wants it done as soon as possible uh, to get a, a second front opened in mass because the Russians have been taking a tremendous beating. Even though they, they wanted Stalingrad, Stalingrad, it was at such horrific cost. So they try to discuss where they will have this meeting. FDR proposes Anchorage, Alaska. Stalin vetoes that. Uh, then they talk about having it a ship at sea off the coast of North Africa. Stalin doesn't want to do that either. Very quixotically, Churchill says, well, let's meet at three tents in the desert. Stalin doesn't even deign to answer that. Uh, so finally, send the U.S. Secretary of State, uh, Cordell Hall, to Moscow to negotiate with Stalin, and Stalin agrees to Tehran. So FDR has to go all the way across the world uh, to Tehran, and, and it's, it's a trip that requires great courage on his part. I mean, he's paralyzed from the waist down, going halfway across the world through war zones, uh, and it's, it's an act of, of faith in the future of America that he's willing to do this, put his, in effect his life on, on the line. Uh, and when they pick Tehran uh, for this meeting, it turns out, ironically, it's arguably the worst possible place because, one, the Nazis have been, since the beginning of the war, have been sending operatives into the city. They have a whole network set up of safe houses. They have communications equipment. They've made ties with the local rebel tribes. And also, in the past three months before the conference, they've actually been sending parachute insertion teams from a secret base in the Crimea into Iran to try to sabotage lend-lease shipments that have been going to Russia from, from America. So they already have their apparatus set up. So the plot is set for this once-impossible mission. It's now as if the operational gods has smiled on the Nazi hierarchy for pushing this plan to kill the big three forward. Who's in operational control of the uh, of the assassination plot? The man who's picking the assassins and who's directing the mission is a man called Otto Scorsese. He's an SS major. Uh, he's the head of their training school at Orienburg, just outside of the Sachsenhausen concentration camp, and even the Allies call him the most dangerous man in Europe. He got this title, uh, this notorious title, uh, after he pulled off another impossible mission. In 1943, Mussolini uh, was stripped of his powers by the Italian king and the Italian Supreme Council, and he was imprisoned on the top of a 7,000-foot mountain in the Italian Alps. Hitler turns to Scorsese and he says, I want you to rescue him. And Scorsese looks at this mission and he's overwhelmed by it. The only way up the mountain is a single cable car and there are 500 troops surrounding it. Uh, you can't do a frontal assault. You can't drop paratroopers down from the sky above the mountaintop. The winds are too strong. They'll be blown off course. You can't land planes. There's not a landing field, and whatever space there is is rocky. So he comes up with a plan to have guiders, gliders swoop down from the sky. And on September 12, 1943, 
12 gliders swoop down from the sky above this 7,000-foot Italian mountaintop. Seven of them crash. The men are all killed, but five survive, and Scorsese leads them into the fortress where Mussolini is being held. He rescues Mussolini, and three days later, he delivers Mussolini to Hitler uh, at a midnight ceremony in East Prussia at Hitler's hideout. And after that ceremony, Scorsese is promoted to major, gets an Iron Cross, and Hitler tells him he wants Scorsese to lead the operation to kill the three Allied leaders. But they still don't know where this conference is going to take place. Okay, now obviously we know the result, but how close did they come to succeeding? When FDR lands in Tehran, he's his head of the Secret Service, who's the hero of this story, Mike Riley, a former college football star from Montana, now 33 years old, meets with the Russian NKVD general in charge of intelligence in Tehran, and he tells Mike that 38 paratroopers who came in, Nazis have been sent in, and these were these men were caught. They were thoroughly investigated. That's the word he used. And Mike, when he discusses this in his memoir, said his heart stopped when he tried to imagine what thoroughly investigated meant. Uh, but these these paratroopers were eradicated. But at the same time, the general tells them six men are still on the loose in the city. And for the four days of the conference, Mike Riley, working with the Russians and with his Secret Service team, has plays a cat and mouse game in a city of one million people trying to catch these six well-trained commandos who are now off on a suicide mission to try to get the big three. And they have a very well-thought-out plot. Uh, there's a photograph in my book, The Front Piece, of Churchill's 69th birthday party. It's in the British Embassy in, in Tehran. The three world leaders are sitting shoulder to shoulder at the dining room table in the British Embassy. You can see the birthday cake in front of them. You can almost hear their voices singing happy birthday to Churchill. And at that moment, these six well-trained assassins are trying to make their way to the water tunnel that connects underneath the city of Tehran uh, that leads to the British Embassy ground. They hope to pop out through this water tunnel, break into the dining room, and change world history. We're not giving away the book because we know all three leaders survived the, the, the attack, but how close are they? And, and, and we know who wins the war. Okay, right. Right? We're not giving too much away. Um, they stay ahead of Mike Riley and his troops until the last day, until the evening of the mission when they're about to go into the water tunnels. The Allies realize in a desperation they give a $20,000 reward, which is a fortune back then. And one of the Iranians who's been hiding, a police lieutenant has been hiding these uh, six Nazi assassins, turns them in. Their house where they're hiding is surrounded. And rather than surrender with the bombs they were carrying to blow up the, the Allied leaders, uh, they blow themselves up. But it gets down to the last minute. There's a, a ticking clock, and it, it's... It looks like for a while it could go either way, and that's what makes, you know, I find so 
fascinating and horrifying today how close they came to changing world history with all that hung in the balance with the course of the war and D-Day being planned. Now, do you have any speculation, like, what would have happened if they succeeded? The the war would still have been won, but, you know, we're living through a a time today uh, when we see how important leadership is. Uh, We look to our leaders to guide us through the crises, uh, and FDR and Churchill and Stalin in his way were very effective in rallying the people behind them. Would there have been a negotiated peace if new leaders came to power uh, and they had di- and Hitler and Churchill and, and Stalin and FDR had died in an attack? That's quite possible. And would the war have dragged on longer? That also, too, is quite possible. It's, it's hard to predict history. But it, it's, it's a lesson about how close assassins can come to changing world history and how life can change as we know it just like that, which is also something we, we have lived through in the past year in our own lives. What happened to Riley after the war? Riley stays on as FDR's bodyguard. After this, he goes with him to Yalta, the Yalta conference, and he's with FDR on the day— uh, that FDR dies of a heart attack in Hot Springs, uh, Georgia. And his last official act, he takes the remains of FDR's breakfast to the lab to test for poison uh, to make sure that he wasn't poisoned and it was natural causes. And after that, he, he leaves the Secret Service and, and just joins the military intelligence. And after the war? After the war, he works for an insurance company. He then works for an aeronautical firm. Uh, FDR, he, FDR needed a special plane to travel around him. So uh, Mike Riley worked with Boeing to construct this plane because FDR needed a, an elevator built in because he, he couldn't walk. And, and they, could, they, couldn't, they didn't want to use the ramps that were uh, used and when FDR first became president on the planes, because that would be a signal to any Nazi assassins that, that this was FDR's plane, even if the plane was unmarked. So he worked with the people in Boeing, and he got a job in Boeing after the war. Okay, now the German guys. Danny, what happens to him? Well, the six assassins are blown up. Schellenberg... Uh, who was the head of Section 6, which was the SS uh, cloak and dagger operation. In 1945, he starts negotiating with the Allies in Sweden, trying to uh, make peace. Uh, He doesn't succeed in, in making this peace, and after the war, he's sentenced to six years in jail. He spends the six years in jail, and within six months of getting out of jail, he dies, a a young man. Uh, He's not even 44 years old. Uh, The other man who planned with him, Carnassus, he turns on Hitler. He's part of a plot to kill Hitler, and he's uh, taken by Hitler and uh, hanged. And then Schellenberg takes over his part of the intelligence organization. They merge the two groups. But where was Scorsese when when the actual assassination plot was going through? Scorsese, as 
the plane is his plane carrying him in is on the landing strip in East Crimea. He has not heard from his men. They've lost radio contact. And this convinces him that the plot has fallen apart. He could go into Iran, parachute in with his four men that he was bringing in, and they could be martyrs. He decides better to live to fight another day. And he goes, fights in the Battle of the Bulge. He's caught. He's caught in an Allied uniform, dressed as a U.S. soldier, uh, sneaking in with a group of men in the Battle of the Bulge. After the war, he's put up on a war crimes uh, charge because of this, and he beats the case. He then his life is quite fascinating. He helps some Nazis escape from Europe. Simon Wiesenthal, who is the great Nazi hunter, puts him on the list of the Nazis who should be hunted on his wanted list. At the same time, later, the Mossad uses Scorsese as an asset to help track down other ex-Nazis. And he lives out his life in some splendor in Ireland, having sold his memoirs. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense at the end. <laughs> I'm not sure it's supposed to make sense. It's real life. Yeah. But what do you think the reader gets out of this? It's a great story. It's a, you know, has anybody ever tried to make a movie, or will they? Well, I'm Hopefully it will happen now. I, I would like to think that, that my book uh, will be turned to There's some discussions about turning this into a feature film. I don't want to be precipitous, but uh, let's, let's hope it happens. It's because it's, it's a, a story about a real American hero, Mike Riley, was able to do this, and he has to do it over extremely large odds. I mean, he comes to this job, as he describes himself in a self-deprecating way, that he's an Irish cop with more brains than brawn. Uh, and when he takes the job, just 33 two days after Pearl Harbor, head of FDR's uh, Secret Service detail, he's sort of overwhelmed by the obstacles. This is the first war, you have to remember, where the enemy could fly their bombers, bombers into Washington, D.C., where paratroopers could drop from the sky uh, above the White House and land on the White House lawn. And the man he has to guard, FDR, is quite literally a sitting target. He's paralyzed. Uh, from the waist down, and Mike Riley realizes that he's going to have to, if, if there is an attack, uh, take a bullet for FDR, put his body in, in front of FDR to protect him, because FDR won't be able to flee. So he, he's a great hero, and I'd like to think a movie you know, featuring Mike Riley going against this dedicated group of Nazi assassins uh, would be a fascinating film, and even more so, because it's it's a true story, a, a documented tale. All right, the name of the book, The Night of the Assassins, The Untold Story of Hitler's Plot to Kill FDR, Churchill, and Stalin. The author, Howard Bloom, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again to Howard Bloom about bringing history to life. Night of the Assassins, The Untold Story of Hitler's Plot to Kill FDR, Churchill, and Stalin. And, and, you know, Michael, th it's a very chilling story when you think about it, because Absolutely. what if it succeeded? I think the, the 
vice president of the United States at the time was Wallace. It was still Wallace then. Yeah, yeah. because ha Harry Truman was elected in 1944 election shortly before uh, Roosevelt died. And I mean, there are very few people who say that Wallace would have been hard on totalitarian powers the way, you know, either FDR or Truman was later on. So, I mean, who knows what would have happened with the war, but by many accounts, it would have been a disaster if Wallace had taken over at that stage. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have been good. The post-war would have been really horrible. Yeah. You know, because Truman, I mean, historians argue over Truman with his good president, mediocre president, but Truman at least was a true American. Yeah, there was no appeasement to communism, which very right. well could have happened under right, right. Wallace. So, um, now, one of the things, you know, when they talked about unconditional surrender, Roosevelt, and Ed Bars once, and I never really thought about this, but Ed Bars brought it up to us once. For those of you who haven't, who haven't been loyalists for a long time, Ed Bars is a friend of ours. He's one of the greatest historians alive today. Um, he's over 90 years old. He's a Marine Corps veteran. And just, you know, absolutely incredible photographic memory for history. Uh, you want to tell a little bit more about him before we go on? Yeah, well, he's memorized every battlefield report of the Civil War. And, and you know, Ed's well in his 90s right now, so I, he's not up to doing interviews over the radio. We can't hear too well. But I would love to get him back on again, but I don't, I don't know if that's possible. But Ed could remember any—and and ask him what happened on April 1st, 1862, and he'll tell you. <laughs> And if you had an ancestor in the Civil War and what unit they were in and where they were serving and, and what happened to that unit on that day, he could tell you. Of course, those who remember Burns, Ken Burns' Civil War, Ed was one of the two prominent speakers, Shelby Foote and Ed Bars. And Ed Bars is still alive today. And, you know, he's a big baseball fan, too, New York Giants fans, for those, yep. for those of us that are uh, in New York. You know, he was talking about one time in 1951 when Bobby Thompson hit the home run. <laughs> In the playoffs, he was dancing on the bar in Washington. So, But Ed Bars did bring this up, and it's the only historian that I know brought this up. He felt that when Franklin Roosevelt declared unconditional surrender, that that cost millions of lives extending the war. Because if there was a possibility of, of a, a negotiated settlement, the German, the German officers would have deposed Hitler. They would have had a lot of support. If they could get some kind of negotiated settlement, you know, they would have had a lot of incentive to to get rid of Hitler. And of course, a lot of them did try to get through Hitler and, and Canaris, including Canaris. Yeah, he he was part of a plot to get rid of Hitler, which he paid for his life. Yeah, and was executed not too long before the war was really over, which is a sad thing because he was a good man, a religious man, and he supposedly, in some documentaries I've seen, it helped the Allies during the course of the war because he really didn't believe in Hitler. But, uh, you know, guys like him, if, if he had, if there was a chance of a negotiated settlement, Hitler might have been killed a lot of earlier or deposed or whatever, and, and maybe millions of people, you know, wouldn't have lost their lives. Remember, 400,000 Russians died in the Battle of Berlin. Right. This is like when the war is over. Yeah. 400,000 men lost their lives in, in trying to take Berlin. And that's not counting the Germans that died defending Berlin. And yes, I know, how can you make a negotiated settlement with the Nazis, but could you have made a negotiated settlement with the German military? And, you know, that's, what can you say? Yeah. But no, absolutely. unconditional surrender, it's its not, you know, him bringing back unconditional surrender, talking about Carthage. When you surrender unconditionally, that means you have no rights. Yeah. Technically, all your population could be executed on an unconditional surrender. So, 
it's a drastic thing, and, and you know, I think it's 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 good to talk about the what ifs in history once in a while. Of course, I don't know who would have taken control of the Soviet Union if Stalin were executed. I would assume the British Parliament would have come up with somebody pretty quickly. Yeah. But uh, interesting history. Hope I really do hope they make it into a movie, Night of the Assassins by Howard Blum. Michael, did they ever make a movie about Artis Grzany? I'm not sure that they have. I don't think I, you know, I feel like I would have seen it by now. I mean, he's a fascinating character. You got a little taste of it when he was talking about Scorzani's history after. I mean, Most Dangerous Man in Europe seems pretty apt in terms of describing him. And once again, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense in terms of how history turns out that he really was able to live large most of his life. Well, I think the perception was he was a soldier. Yeah. And soldiers were forgiven, mm-hmm. you know, but his place in history, it's, it's very interesting. Maybe we'll have another discussion on him. Maybe we can get a guest to, to, to talk about Otis Kazani. But, uh, you know, we better get on to our more routine stuff. So we'll take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Mike Connors, host of Ask the Lawyer and published in New York Magazine's top-rated lawyers. Whether assisting a client with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, nursing home plan, or other matter, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of their clients' rights and interests. Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, has dedicated attorneys that can help you with estate planning, elder law, and probate. They listen to their clients to learn about their families, their financial picture, and their long-term goals to create a comprehensive plan to meet your objectives. They assist with the complex tax matters that are often involved in estate planning and probate. Contact Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, with offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Midtown Manhattan, and Staten Island to schedule a free consultation with an attorney. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. And listen to Ask the Lawyer right here every Saturday evening at 6. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Thanks again to Howard Bloom, Night of the Assassins. Now, you know, that some things I really didn't know that there was, this plot was there. And uh, interesting part of history. Now, a couple of things. Remember, it's primary day on June 23rd. Don't forget to vote if you're in a district where they're having a contested primary. And don't forget, you know, Father's Day this weekend. Uh, happy, happy Father's Day. Now, Beth, you were talking about trying to get James Parks and, and, and Michael Parks, two of our favorite actors. Could we do that next week? Yeah, we'll try to get them next week. They've both been taped. 
Michael Parks is deceased. Uh, James Parks is, you know, still kicking around, so so forth. So we have to see what James Parks is in right now. But, you know, a father-son team of acting. They, you know, in some cases worked in the same films, you know, in some of the Quentin Tarantino films, which are not my favorite, but they're two of my favorite actors, you know, alive and, and deceased. And Andy McLaughlin, who we had on the show, always thought Michael Parks was one of his favorite actors. So I guess we'll we'll show that next week. Maybe oh, gonna, very good. Maybe we'll get Father Paul in for a couple of minutes or whatever. Very because good. Because he's going to be you, heading back you. to the Middle East in, in, in a few days. So, okay, remember, if you have any estate planning questions, elder law questions, give a call at Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. See you next week. Happy Father's Day. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.